Chapter 6 of the Catholic Church and Conversion. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Catholic Church and Conversion by G. K. Chesterton. A note on present prospects. On reconsidering these notes, I find them to be far too personal, yet I do not know how any conception of conversion can be anything else. I do not profess to have any particular knowledge about the actual conditions and calculations of the Catholic movement at the moment. I do not believe that anybody else has any knowledge of what it will be like the next moment. Statistics are generally misleading, and predictions are practically always false. But there is always a certain faint tradition of the thing called common sense, and so long as a glimmer of it remains, in spite of all journalism and state instruction, it is possible to appreciate what we call a reality. Nobody in his five wits will deny that at this moment conversion is a reality. Everybody knows that his own social circle, which fifty years ago would have been a firm territory of Protestantism, perhaps hardening into rationalism or indifference, but doing even that slowly and without conscious convulsion, has just lately shown a curious disposition to collapse softly and suddenly, first in one unexpected place and then in another, making great holes in that solid land and letting up the leaping flames of what was counted an extinct volcano. It is in everybody's experience, whether he is sad or glad or mad or merely indifferent, that these conversions seem to come of themselves in the most curious and apparently accidental quarters. Tom's wife, Harry's brother, Fanny's funny sister-in-law who went on the stage, Sam's eccentric uncle who studied military strategy, of each of these isolated souls we hear suddenly that it is isolated no longer. It is one with the souls militant and triumphant. Against these things, which we know as facts and do not merely read as statistics, there is admittedly something to be set. It is what is commonly called leakage, and with a paragraph upon this point I will close these pages. Father Ronald Knox, with that felicity that is so good that the wit almost seems like good luck, has remarked that the Catholic Church really does have to get on by hook or crook. That is, by the hook of the fisherman and the crook of the shepherd. And it is the hook that has to catch the convert and the crook that has to keep him. He said in this connection that the conversions to the church just now were so numerous that they would be obvious and overwhelming, like a landslide if it were not that they were neutralized in mere numbers, or rather lessened in their full claim of numbers by a certain amount of falling away in other directions. Now the first fact to realize is that it is in other directions, in totally different directions. Some people, especially young people, 
abandoned practicing Catholicism, but none of them abandoned it for Protestantism, all of negative morality. They have a feeling which is not unreasonable that to commit themselves to the Catholic citizenship is to take responsibilities that continually act as restraints. But they do not maintain anything like a contrary system of spiritual citizenship or moral responsibility. For instance, it is perfectly natural that they should want to act naturally, but they do not want to act naturally according to any intellectual theory of the reliability of nature. On the contrary, their young and brilliant literary representatives are very prone to press upon us the crudity and cruelty of nature. That is the moral of Mr. Aldous Huxley and of many others. State to them any of the consistent theories of the supreme claim of nature upon us, such as the pantheistic idea of God in all natural things, or the Nietzschean theory that nature is evolving something with superior claims to our own, or any other definable defense of the natural process itself, and they will almost certainly reject it as something unproved or exploded. They do not want to have an exact imitation of the laws of the physical universe. They want to have their own way, a much more intelligible desire. But the result is that they are, after all, at a disadvantage in face of those other young people who have satisfied their reason by a scheme that makes the universe reasonable. For that is the very simple explanation of the affair. Insofar as there is really a secession among the young, it is but a part of the same process as them practically abandon it for paganism. Most of them abandon it for something that is really rather too simple to be called an ism of any kind. They abandon it for things and not theories, and when they do have theories, they may sometimes be Bolshevist theories or Futurist theories, but they are practically never the theological theories of Protestantism. I will not say they leave Catholicism for beer and Skittles, for Catholicism has never discouraged those Christian institutions as Protestantism sometimes has. They leave it to have a high old time, and considering what a muddle we have made of modern morality, they can hardly be blamed. But this is reaction, which is only that of a section. But this reaction, which is only that of a section, is in its nature a reaction of the young, and as such I do not think it will last. I know it is the cant phrase of the old rationalists that their reason prevents a return to the faith, but it is false. It is no longer reason, but rather passion. This may sound a sweeping statement, but if it be examined it will be found not unjust and certainly not unsympathetic. Nothing is more notable if we really study the characteristics of the rising generation than the fact that they are not acting upon any exact and definite philosophy, 
such as those which have made the revolutions of the past. If they are anarchical, they are not anarchist. The dogmatic anarchism of the middle of the 19th century is not the creed they hold or even the excuse they offer. They have a considerable negative revolt against religion, a negative revolt against that conversion of the young, of which I wrote in the first chapter. The rising generation sees the real issue, and those who are ready for it rally, and those who are not ready for it scatter. But there can be but one end to a war between a solid and a scattered army. It is not a controversy between two philosophies, as was the Catholic and the Calvinist or the Catholic and the materialist. It is a controversy between philosophers and philanderers. I do not say it in contempt. I have much more sympathy with a person who leaves the church for a love affair than with one who leaves it for a long-winded German theory to prove that God is evil or that children are a sort of morbid monkey. But the very laws of life are against the endurance of a revolt that rests on nothing but natural passion. It is bound to change in its proportion with the coming of experience, and at the worst it will become a battle between bad Catholics and good Catholics, with a great dome over all. End of chapter 6 Read by Kerry Adams, your book voice, at Mesa, Arizona, on the 25th of February, 2022. End of the Catholic Church and Conversion by G. K. Chesterton